How many of you know that we started off this year and the word of the Lord came to us and said that this was going to be a year of great grace? Amen. How many of you know that that, that word grace doesn't just mean, you know, like when God forgives us, that that word grace literally means there are some things that are going to be very easy for us to obtain. Amen. And so we've been talking and we started off this year talking about the year of great grace. And then in the last few months, uh, beginning of this month, Pastor Sean was teaching. And one of the things she declared was that this was going to be the greatest month that we've ever experienced. Amen. And how many know it's just as easy to believe that as it is to disbelieve that? Amen. And so I was I was thinking about those things she said. And it was it's, it's been so awesome because we've been talking about how important faith is. And I'll continue to say this, that once a person is born again, the number one thing you need to learn after salvation is how to walk in faith. The Bible says that all of the promises of God are received how? By faith. So if you don't understand how faith works, you, you'll find yourself going to church for years and you'll be frustrated because you'll hear people preach these things, but they'll almost seem like either they're happened to you sporadically or they don't happen to you at all. But the Bible says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen. And so if God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, then we have to understand the mechanism by which God wants us to attain those things. Say amen, somebody. So I want to begin this morning. I want to look at a particular scripture. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about how to respond in faith. And how many of you know that if you live in this life, it doesn't matter that you're saved, it doesn't matter you go to church, it doesn't matter that you fast, it doesn't matter that you tithe, you're going to have challenges. Amen, Amen somebody. In fact, say this, say, my life, my life as, a as a Christian does not, does not exempt me, exempt me. From, life's challenges. from life's challenges. I think that's important for people to understand because people get frustrated with God because bad things happen in their life or they have struggles in their life. And they say, well, why me, God? Why not you? You're a person who's supposed to understand how to use your faith to overcome those obstacles. Amen. And so if, if something's bad has got to happen, it ought to happen to the people who can overcome it. Amen. 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 And so I want to read something in the book of Hebrews before we get started. It's Hebrews chapter one. It's Hebrews 11, verse one. You know what it says. It basically says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things what? Not seen. But in the Amplified, it says this, and I want to read out the Amplified. It says, now faith is the assurance. It is our title deed or our confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. It is the conviction of our reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Now, do you remember last week we were over at the uh, four, the, the, the four points? And I said to you that the reason it's difficult for many people to walk by faith is because we lived all our life being governed by our senses. See, your five senses are designed to keep you safe. In fact, it's the reason why we tell the little kids when they're young and they're playing outside, if you're going to cross the street, what do we tell them to do? Look both ways. Why? Because looking with your eyes keeps you safe. It's the reason when we have young drivers and they're starting to drive and we tell them don't have the radio up so loud. Why? Because we know the radio does what? Distracts them because they need to be able to what? Hear oncoming traffic because your senses are designed to keep you safe. The problem is, is that if you live your spiritual life, 
like you live your natural life, you will always be in conflict to believing God. Because the issue is there are times that God tells you to do things and they don't make sense to your senses. And when something doesn't make sense to your senses and you spent years honing your senses to keep you safe, it becomes a battle of which one am I going to rely on? And so one of the things we talk about all the time is understanding that while God gave us our five senses, they're designed to keep us safe. They were not designed to be used at the exclusion over his word. Amen. So if God tells me to do something, then it supersedes what I can see. It supersedes what I can hear. It's why we say we don't walk by sight, but we walk by because faith is higher than our five senses. Amen. So last week, I want to recap for you just real quick. We were talking about uh, how to respond in faith. And we gave you four things that you had to consider when you wanted to walk uh, by faith or if you were going to respond in faith. And so one of the things that we said, you can click or I can click. Can you click for me? All right, there we go. And so we said that there were four things that we had to be mindful of. We said, number one, if you're going to respond appropriately to a faith challenge. And how many know you're going to have faith challenges? Oh, yeah. And there's all kinds of faith. Sometimes people think faith challenges are just really big things. The Bible tells us that we ought to walk in love. So a faith challenge is when someone cuts you off on Interstate 49. Because the faith challenge is, do I let my flesh respond or do I do what God says, which is walk in love? So there are all kinds. Every day of your life, you're going to have faith challenges. You're going to have challenges that causes you to say, am I going to do it the way I've always done it? Am I going to do it based on how I feel or am I going to do it based on the word? And so we said the first thing you have to do when you're in a faith challenge is you have to consider the promise more than you consider the problem. When God makes you a promise, that doesn't mean there's not going to be obstacles to reaching that promise. We talked about Abraham. And when we talked about Abraham, one of the things we said is that Abraham was a 75 year old man when God made him a promise. And if God made him a promise that he was going to have a child, it still was another 25 years before he produced that promise. And in your life, God will make you some promises, especially those of you that are young, you in school, you know, you got these grandiose ideas of how you at five years out of college, you're going to be the CEO. <laughs> and for some of you, that may happen. Praise God. But for some of you, you're going to have to work your way up. For some of you, you're going to have to prove yourself. For some of you, you're going to have to have some evaluations where your boss or your employer tells you that you're not as great as you thought you were. And you're going to have to learn how to remember the promise that God made, even in face of the problem. Amen. Amen. The second thing we said was that you had to learn to rejoice and to give thanks in spite of the challenges set before you. You cannot be a person who every time something bad happens, it changes your attitude. You cannot be a person who's always happy when God's blessing you. But when there's a challenge and you don't know whether God exists. You got to be a person who can go back and pull from the records and say, you know what? This thing happened and it wasn't so great. But I remember how God delivered me last time. I remember how God brought me out of this situation. I remember how God got me out. I remember how God delivered me when I was doing this thing I wasn't supposed to do. And so we said, number two, you have to learn to rejoice. You have to be able to give things. In other words, you got to have an attitude. Watch this. of gratitude. Isn't it amazing how God can bless us, but then something, the next, God can give us 10, God can bless us in 10 different ways. 
and then the one thing we wanted God to do, it doesn't show up, and then all of a sudden we got a bad attitude about it. Now you, now you know how ag, you know how ag we get with our kids when they do that, right? You done took them to McDonald's, you done took them skating, you done took them to laser tag, you done went bowling and to the lake. They want to go to their friend's house and you say no and they throw a fit. Now, now we know what that looks like when kids do it, right? So imagine what it looks like to our Heavenly Father when we do the same thing. So if we don't like it when our kids do it, hello somebody, we got to make sure we're not doing it. We want our kids to have an attitude of gratitude and guess what we ought to have? An attitude of gratitude. Number three, when you're faced with a faith challenge, we said you got to learn to develop the discipline to say the right things in times of distress. How many of you know that the Bible says that your words govern your world? We, we, we've preached that to you for the last 24 months, probably, that you have the power to frame your world. And those of you that are renting, writing frantically, you don't have to do this. They're going to put this up in the FOC group. So you can just chill and just listen if you like. I mean, because I saw somebody, I'm going to go kind of fast, and some of y'all writing real hard. <laughs> I saw Rich over there, he was getting it. <laughs> but they're going to put this up in the group as soon as the message is over. <laughs> but you got to learn to say the right thing. In other words, when something bad happens, you can't agree with it. Amen? You can't go around saying things to self-sabotage yourself. You can't say things like, I'm already broke before I get paid. You can't say that. That's the worst thing you want to say. Even if you think that's the case, you got to learn to say, you know what, God, I thank you that no matter what my bills are, you always give me more than enough to do all I need to do and to have more enough to save. Amen. You got to learn to say the right thing. You can't self-sabotage yourself. If you do, you will make grand mistakes because your life is the sum total of the words that you speak. We say the story of the Shunammite woman. Her child died. But she never told anybody her child died. Every time they ask her a question, what does she say? It is well. And sometimes when folk want to know all your information and you going through stuff, you ain't got to have a party with everybody to tell everybody what's going on. Sometimes you ought to just say all is well. All is well. You having challenges in your body? You got to understand everybody can't handle your truth. Everybody can't handle what's going on because you tell somebody you diagnosed with cancer and they planning your funeral and you believing for healing. So, so you got to be careful not to tell everybody everything. There are some things when folks ask you, you ought to just say in faith, all is well. And then number four, we said you have to use what you have to honor God and to uh, expect his blessings for the rest. We talked about the boy who had the, 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 the fish in the five loaves, right? The Bible says that it was 5,000 men not counting the women and children. And, and, and what happened was is that when they were faced with this challenge of how do we feed all these people, they didn't freak out. What they said is, what do we have? And many times you don't understand that the thing you need to do to go to the next level is already in your possession. The fact of the matter is you downgrade what it is that God has already given you. But if you learn to use what God has given you, use the tools, the talents and the resources that God has made available to you rather than discounting them, God can take you to the next level. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor, God. Uh, already knew already. all your talents all before he ever called you. So if God called you to do a task and you go, I'm not able. Yes, you are because God called you. 
He knew what was in you. It's the same story of Moses, right? He tell Moses to go to Pharaoh, go to the king. He says, and tell the king to let my people go. And Moses says, I can't go talk to Pharaoh. I got a st 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 stuttering problem. How am I supposed to be able to sp speak to him? But God doesn't look at the things you can't do. He looks at what you can do. And if you put a little God on your can, it'll supersede all your can. Amen, Amen somebody. And so we talked about that. And then we talked about, well, how do we strengthen our belief system? And so we gave you like these five things that you could do to strengthen your belief system. Number one, we said you had to meditate on the word. Amen. Amen. Now, I told you last week, meditation is not hearing something one time. Meditation is what you do when Lemonade came out and you want to know all the words to the song. You played it over and over and over and over. And you're like, what did she say? I couldn't hear that. You rewind, you play it over. And now when the, radio, when the song comes on the radio, you know the whole song. What? Thank you, Tamara. Because once it gets in you, now you ain't got to think about it. Now you're doing the dance she was doing. So what you need to understand is that when you meditate on the word, at first you may have to go to your Bible and open up and read. At first you may remember pieces of the scripture. But at some point you keep meditating on it. That thing gets on the inside of you. And then when trouble comes, guess what? It rises up out of you. Why? Because you cannot produce what's not in you. Yes. Yes. People used to say this all the time in college. I thought it was so funny. They would say, Lord, bring back to my remembrance everything for this test. You don't have anything you remembered. <laughs> if you didn't study, you can't ask God to bring it to your remembrance. He brings things to your remembrance that you spend time putting on the inside of you. And so we got to make sure that if we're going to if we're going to have these faith challenges and we're going to come out on top and we're winners. Amen. amen. If we're going to come out on top, then we got to strengthen our belief by meditating on the word. Number two, we got to be rooted in Thanksgiving. Amen. Number three, we have to walk by faith. Come on. And not by. That means we can determine everything based on what we see. That's the reason when we you know I, I can't tell you the number of people who have responded to what you all did in, 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 in raising the money for the scholarship. And, and because here's what people, people are used to giving $500,000 scholarships. People are used to that. As, but when you don't have a mega ministry and you give a $10,000 scholarship, people start looking at you and saying, now how'd you do that? Well, the reality of it is all we did was this. We're sitting at the house. First of all, it, it didn't even start then. It started when we said we believe that everybody ought to be a tither and everybody ought to save 10%. That's when it got started because people said, okay, I can get with that. And by faith, even when they didn't think they could, they started tithing. And then when you get enough people who start doing what God has said, supernatural things can be done. And so when God said, give the $10,000, it, it wasn't this, I, it, it wasn't, it, it was like, okay, we got $10,000 in the bank, let's just give it. God said, give it, we gave it, watch this, and then over the course of the next seven days, people who've never been to Fellowship of Champions, people who've never been to Arkansas, people who only even met us through Facebook, started sending in money to the tune of almost another $10,000 this week. Amen. Oh, you ought to give God some praise for that. You don't have to have everything to do what God tells you. 
I say this all the time. You don't need finishing grace until you start. You don't need finishing grace. We don't need to, to have the grace to finish something until you got the will to start where God told you to. So we walk by faith and not by sight. Then number four, you got to have confidence in the finished works of Christ. This is the thing I was talking about last week when I was saying to you that everybody in the kingdom of God has gotten on this grace thing. Grace, 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 grace. And grace is great. But they're teaching grace from the standpoint of you've already been forgiven and you have already been forgiven. But that is a that is that is to diminish what grace is. Grace is God's ability to do something for you and to finish it before you ever show up. That's what grace is. Salvation is a visualization of grace. Salvation was made available when you were still kicking it and not thinking about God. Salvation was available when you was doing everything you wanted to do and the stuff you loved twice. <laughs> Salvation was still available. It wasn't that you decided to get saved and then Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross 2,000 years ago so that when you got ready to receive it, it was already available. Yeah. That's what grace is. That's what his finished works is. So when God says, I have already made provision for you to buy the home, God is not waiting for you to do something spectacular for the home to be bought. The home is already available. All you got to do is rely on the finished works of Jesus, just like you did for salvation. Amen. See, that, that, that's hard for people to get. Because church teaches you that you got to jump through hoops. Church teaches you that you got to go over hurdles. Church teaches you that you got to dot every I and you got to cross every T before you can receive what Jesus has. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says all you have to do is believe that I've already made it available and then your faith allows you to access the grace I've made available to you. That's what the gospel says. That's what the gospel says. That's why I'm encouraged because in spite of all of my shortcomings, I have never denied any of God's promises. Oh. You ought to tell us to say in spite of my shortcomings, I am never denied any promise that's been made available to me. Somebody give God some praise for that. I have folk who get mad at me all the time on Facebook because I debate with them about this. But I'm telling you, if perfection is the rule, then none of us qualify. If perfection is the rule, then none of us qualify. Understand, it is his grace that saved me, but it's also his grace that now keeps me in, the, in, in, in line to receive all of his promises. So now I'm not doing things the right way trying to get something. I'm doing things the right way because it pleases my father. Amen. So, so, so when we remember last week, I talked about those seven things that will stop manifestation. And I said, one of them is the motive of your heart. I don't ever do anything to get God to give me something. That's not why I do it. I do what I do because I love God. I do what I do because when I was on my way to hell in a Bugatti, fast, God snatched me and he saved me. So if he never did anything else for me, which is not his character, so I don't make that confession. 
But if he didn't do anything else for me, I still have a reason to honor him. Yes. I still have a reason to do it his way because he saved me. Yes. And so I don't do things to get something. I do them because it, it, it makes me, it, it makes my God appreciative of me because I'm saying to him, I love you. And he says, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So my commandment keeping is my demonstration of my love to God. Yes, yes. And then number five, we said we have to understand that God wants us to enter into his rest. And this is what I'm going to talk about today. Entering into God's rest, learning how to trust God. I'm going to say this now and it's going to be on the slide later, but I want to say it right now. When we learn to balance faith and grace, we find out that trust is the currency of the kingdom. I'm going to say it again. When we learn to balance faith, our faith, our ability to believe God and grace, understanding that what Christ has already done is the reason why we can receive it, then trusting him becomes the currency. Trusting him. People say that faith is the currency of the kingdom. It's not true. Faith is given to every man. Grace was done already by God. Trust, my trust in God is my ability to tap into what's been already made available. It's my trust. And so one of the things that we want to talk about is we want to talk about learning to trust God. Watch this completely. I was thinking about this as I was preparing my notes over the last two weeks and I was thinking, what does it mean to really trust God? What does it mean to trust God completely? You remember the man in the Bible who said this? He said, Lord, I believe, but what? Here's what he was saying. He said, Lord, I believe that you can do all of these things. Help me to trust you that you will do them for me. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Because that is a defining moment in your walk with Christ. How many of y'all believe for healing? Believe God can heal. He God, he can heal. How many of you believe that God can get you out of any financial situation? Amen. How many believe God, that God can restore a relationship? Amen. How many know God can keep your mind in perfect peace? Amen. The question isn't if he's God and can he do it. The question is, will you trust him to do it for you? That's the real question. And that's the reason we have people who sit in churches and we can applaud when other people get blessed. But in reality, we're frustrated because we don't see it happening in our life. Because you can believe God can do it. The question is, do you believe he'll do it for you? We tell people all the time, we know how jacked up our marriage was. We tell people about how horrible it was. We tell people how she used to talk about my mama. We tell people. See, when I preach, I tell the story the way I remember. But one of the things we used to tell people all the time is we also believe that God could restore our marriage. (laughs) We believe that God can restore it, but not just that he can restore marriages, but that he could restore ours. So when we talk to people who are, are going through things, and it's funny because me and Pastor Sean, we'll leave from talking with a couple, and we'll go, oh, shoot, we know they can make it. Why? Because y'all ain't did what we did. We know y'all can make it. 
But the question is not whether we believe they can make it. The question is, do they believe they can make it? The question is not whether or not do you believe God can give you the, whether God can cause promotion to come. The Bible says promotion comes from where? Not from the north, not from the south, not from the east, not from the west, but who? From the Lord. So we know the Lord can give. Do you believe he will promote you? The question really is about learning how to trust God. When we strike a balance between faith and grace, we learn that trust is the currency of the kingdom. This trust teaches us that God is faithful. Say, God is faithful. faithful. Not only is God faithful, but that he will do exactly what he says he will do. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent for anything. If God made a promise, guess what? It's going to come to pass. Now, here's the thing I've realized. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come to pass in your life. What do I mean? I mean that when God makes a promise, he makes it to you. I love this. He said this to me one time. He said, Edwin, he said, when I make you a promise, I'm not just making it to you. I'm making it to every seed in your lineage. He said, so if you refuse to do what is right, if you refuse to follow me, I will not void that promise. He said, it will stay in your line to somebody raise up and do it. He said, and sometimes what happens is you refuse to obey God and you live long enough to see somebody else living in your dream. So that when God makes a promise, there, listen, there are promises I truly believe that our grandparents should have lived in. But they didn't live in it. Because because of circumstances, because of situations, because of belief systems. But the promise that God made didn't go away. It fell to your parents. And for some of you, your parents lived in it. And that's the reason you lived better than you than you than than your 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 friends and your family. I think about the fact how so many of us are first generation or maybe even second generation college students. Right. Going to college now is not something new for our children. It becomes an expectation. Oh, watch this. Stay with me. So if going to college becomes an expectation, living a life of not being broke becomes an expectation. Living a life of not being sick becomes an expectation. Not coming from divorce becomes an expectation. And so you can redefine the life of your children by obeying the word of God today. My, everybody on my, on my mama and daddy's side was either divorced or miserable. Come on. There, there was a couple who stuck it out, but they, talk, they spoke to each other in grunts. <laughs> you don't want a marriage where you talk to each other in grunts. Right. Where you say, and they pass you the salt. <laughs> you want to have a loving relationship where you can talk to each other and you can laugh with each other. People say, we stand together for the kids. The worst thing you can do is stay together for the kids. You jack those kids up. If you ain't going to fix it, you need to decide to do something different. No, I'm serious. And so it's important for us to understand that we have the ability to redefine not just our lives, but the lives of our children and our grandchildren. Pastor Sean and I, we make the declaration none of our kids will ever get divorced. And they ain't going to stay married because they're unhappy either. They ain't going to just stay merrily unhappy. Why? Somebody said, well, you can't make that kind of debate. Why not? Why not? Why can't I make that? Why can't I make that confirmation? Why can't I make that declaration? 
We're supposed to be using our words. That's absolutely right. We're supposed to be using our words to define our world, right? That's right. What are we supposed to say? My kids going to get married and they're going to spend a lot of money on their wedding and get divorced. That don't make sense. At least say what makes sense, amen? We tell people all the time, don't spend more money on your engagement and don't spend more money on your wedding than you spend money preparing to be married. You know that, I'm parenthetically assert this, I'm going to move on. You do know there's a correlation that the more money you spend on your marriage, the, less, the, 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 the shorter time you stay married. Your wedding, your wedding. Yeah, yeah, you, you can look up the studies. It, that's why we've been married so long. <laughs> I think we spent $30.70. <laughs> I'm telling you, listen, there's a, court, I'm t- there's a correlation. People who spend thousands and thousands of dollars upon their mar- on, their, on their weddings, the, the correlation says, and it's almost a direct correlation, I think it's like 0.70, that says basically that people end up uh, getting divorced within, within five to seven years. So... So what does that mean? If you want to stay married a long time, don't spend a whole bunch of money on your wedding. Amen. <laughs> Y'all thinking about this. Now all the women like, don't believe him. Don't believe him. That's a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> Listen, every manifestation we see in our lives is a result of trusting God. Every manifestation you see in your life is a result of trusting God. You had to trust God. If you go back and you look at anything you asked God to do in your life and it was done, you trusted God to do it. And it's, and it's almost an, an, an instinctive thing. It's all, the, the, things, the things that you don't have to try to like get yourself to believe, those are the things that happen the fastest. Yeah. Those are, I mean, they happen immediately. And so trusting God has a direct correlation to manifestation. So the quicker you're able to trust God, what does it mean to trust God? To rely on him, to put all of your energy and effort on him, that if you do that, then you are able to receive manifestation much faster. If we do not realize that we need God, we end up in failure. Amen. We end up in failure. And so I want to begin by looking at this scripture in Proverbs. It's a very familiar scripture, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. You know what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with what? All thine heart and do what? Lean, that's that word trust, to lean not unto thy own what? Understanding. But in all thy ways do what? Acknowledge him and what shall he do? Direct your path. You know what it doesn't say? He won't make you go down it. Come on, amen. Come on, that's good. That's what it doesn't say. It says he will direct your path. So God can point you in the right direction, but it's still up to you to follow. And so, but, but when you're trusting God, it's, 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 it paints the image of a lame person who can't walk. And so they're going the direction of wherever someone carries them. That's what it means to trust. It means to not have any uh, fortitude to do things your own way. It means that when God tells me to do something, I lean all of my weight and ability onto what he has said to me. To trust him means to rely on or to lean on him. It is having confidence in God's integrity, in God's strength, in his ability, and in God's surety. Trust is having a confident expectation that what he said will come to pass. A confident expectation. Let's look at Psalm 62, 1 and 2. 
It says, truly my soul. Now, what is our soul? Let's talk about this. Our soul is our what? Come on, class. Our mind, will, emotions, our imagination, and our intellect, okay? That's the part of us that people get to deal with on a daily basis. People don't really deal with your spirit, okay? They, because we're, man is tripartite. That means we are spirit, soul, and body. But the Bible says that my soul waited upon God. From him cometh my what? That word salvation doesn't just mean going to heaven. This word salvation is sozo, which also means deliverance. So God, so, so I wait on him, cometh from my deliverance. It says he only is my rock and my deliverance or salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be what? Now, when it says I shall not be greatly moved, it's because that's where my trust is. So when your trust is in God, it doesn't matter what comes along. You're going to believe whatever God said. I tell people this. They say, what are you going to do? Whatever God said last. Come on. Yeah. That should be how you live. What are you going to do? Whatever God told me last. Oh, but so and so happened. But did God change what he said? You know, we, we had somebody we were talking to not too long ago, and they, were, they had really messed up in school. They had just not done what they were supposed to do. They had been out of school for a while. They had gotten their uh, money, and, 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 you know, if you get your money and then you don't complete enough hours, you know, the government don't play that. They, they cut your money off and all that other kind of stuff, right? Amen? They, they do. They cut your coins off. Amen? You don't have no, they're like, nope, you got to pay and go to school like a semester or two, get your stuff right before we start giving you back some money. And so we was talking to this guy not, not too long ago, and I was talking to him through Facebook back and forth, back and forth. And one of the things I asked him, I said, what did God say about school? He said, God told me I'm supposed to be in school in the fall. I said, okay, if you're supposed to be in school in the fall, what do you have to do to be prepared to go to school in the fall? He said, well, the first thing I'd have to do, I have to go to the registrar's office. I said, okay, have you gone to the registrar's No, because I got a bill. That ain't what God said, though. Come on. And sometimes what happens is we allow, what Pastor Sean said earlier, we allow logic to stop us from doing what we're supposed to do. Long story short, he went to the registrar's office and it happened to be a person in the registrar's office who had the power to forgive him for a semester. That person had been working there for a year. What do I mean? God already knew what he was gonna do. God had set up a year in advance. God had already prepared him to go back to school before God told him to go back to school. So you got to understand when God speaks to you, he has already planned out how it's going to work. You ought to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God already knows what he's going to do. The issue is that you don't know. And so because you don't know, you're scared to do what he told you. So long story short, he goes to the registrar office. The, the person who's working there is able to forgive him for a semester. So, he, so, so now that's great, but he still doesn't have the money to pay, right? So, so he's, he said, well, you know, I got in school, but I got, I got to pay for school in this, you know, whatever number of credit hours, dollars a credit hour, whatever the case may be. I said, well, have you applied for any kind of scholarships that's not tied to your GPA, anything? Well, no, because you know everything tied to your GPA. Everything ain't tied to your GPA. Everything ain't. I said, you got this wonderful tool called Google. You should Google. You should Google it. You should Google it. <laughs> and then once you Google something, watch this, he actually found a scholarship called a Second Chance Scholarship. Come on. 
And it was worth $5,000, and it was designed for people who had went to school, had either had life emergencies where, where something happened and you know, they had to withdraw from school or they didn't, they didn't do well, or, or they came from a, what they call an at-risk family, and so they kind of give you a second chance to do it again. Long story short, he got all his paperwork and he's ready to go back to school in August. Why? Because he just obeyed God. Yeah. And, and really, that's, you got to get beyond your intellect yeah. and stop thinking through everything so much that you discount what God is telling you to do. What are you going to do? Whatever God said last. Amen? Amen? He, when you lean to your own understanding, it causes you to be double-minded. Let's look at this in James. When you lean to your own understanding, it causes you to become a double-minded person. Oh, I didn't go back to, to, to Psalms. Let me go back to Psalm 62 to the end of that. Well, I think it's 5 through 8. It says, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation. Here's that word again. We're talking about trust is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Let's look at James 1 and 8. In James 1, 6 through 8, here's what he says. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. I love verse 7. He says, for let not that man think that he shall what? Receive anything of the Lord. Why? Because a double-minded is what? In some of his ways. Most of his ways. In all of his ways. Why is that important? Because if you don't learn to trust and rely on God, your intellect will come in and it's going to be a battle for you. And the Bible, and the Bible says that if you're double-minded, you're going to be unstable in all of your ways. So not only will the word of God fail you because you didn't believe it, but your intellect will fail you because it didn't have the power to produce it. Wow. That's good. Amen. So you have to make the decision. I'm not going to be double minded. I'm going to believe what God has said about my life. Amen. You know, I talk about her all the time. Uh, Ariana's sister, Erica, I talk about her all the time because she is a she is a physical representation to me of what it means to dig into your faith. I mean, the doctors diagnosed her with cancer. She had a surgery and everything. She gets pregnant. She has this decision she's got to make. Am I going to believe what the doctors say? Am I going to terminate the pregnancy? Or am I going to believe what God say and I'm going to have this baby? And God said she would have the baby. Listen, that's not an easy choice to make. When you're trying to decide, am I going to live or am I going to try to make this baby live and end up dying or we both going to die? Which one am I going to do? And I love it. Erica said, I'm just going to believe God. Amen. She said, I'm just going to believe God. And when someone has the tenacity to just believe God, don't you be one of those uh, uh, well-intended fools. Don't be a well-intended fool where you try to talk somebody out of what, they, what God has told them. Yeah. Because, because if she had done that, she, would, she, she either wouldn't be here or faith wouldn't be here. But praise God, both of them are here. Amen. Both of them are here because she chose to believe God. We verify our trust when we refuse to rely on what we understand about the situation. I have no I don't have any issue with people understanding a situation and getting a good understanding of it. But if you try to intellectualize every conversation and you try to do everything on your own at your best, you're going to fail 50 percent of the time. At your best, you're going to fail half the time. So what you've got to learn to do is get information and then do this. God, what do I do next? Yes. That's the key. 
That's the key. You can get all the information in the world you want to, but once you've gathered that information, once you've gotten that resource, once you synthesized it, you have to say, God, what do I do next? Because the, whatever God says next is your key to success. I, I never forget, we told you about the time a few weeks ago when I kept trying to have my wife to have the gallbladder surgery. Every doctor said she needed to have it. They were saying it's got to come out, it's got to come out, it's got to come out. I was one of those well-intended fools. I was like, baby, just have the surgery. It ain't that bad. They do hundreds of them every day around the country. Just have the gallbladder surgery. She said, the Lord did not tell me to take my gallbladder out. Long story short, it wasn't even her gallbladder that was the issue. But that's why you have to learn how to hear God for yourself. It's great to have a multitude of counsel, but you got to hear God. When God tells you something and you know it was God, no matter what everybody else is saying, you got to learn to stick with it. I used to see up here all the time, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail hearing God. I'm not going to fail listening to all 55 of y'all. I'm going to fail hearing God. Amen? Let's look at Isaiah 26 and 3, because when God gives you a word, here's how you know that you can live in it. We say this all the time. Faith begins where what? The will of God is known. Once you know the will of God, that's where faith begins. But once, once you have that word and you trust him, then Isaiah 26 and 3 comes into play. Look what it says. He will keep your mind on what? Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in thee. In other words, here's what he says. When you trust in God, he'll keep your mind, your mind, will, emotions, your imagination, your intellect, he'll keep that thing at peace. There is nothing greater than having your mind at peace. If, you, if, you've, if you've ever had an older child and they had a curfew, you, you, it is almost impossible not to be thinking about them even before curfew. It's just impossible. If curfew is 12 o'clock at 11.30, you're kind of thinking, all right, they ought to be on their way home on the road by now. You're not worried, per se, but you're thinking about it, right? But when they walk in the door and they're safe, peace comes over you. God says that when you trust him, you can live that way all the time. You can have that kind of peace all the time. And we can't just look at this word and think of peace and think of little white doves flying around. That's a powerful word. This word peace is the word shalom. The word shalom literally translate means nothing missing and nothing broken. He says, so when your mind is on God, then he'll keep you in a situation so that you don't see things that are missing and you don't see things that are broken. Amen. How do what, what does that practically look like? Let's look at Jeremiah 17, 5 and 8. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 8. Now, I. I I told you, I read out of multiple translations of the Bible, and I love it out of the voice translation, so that's the one we're going to use this morning. You use whatever one you have, we'll end up in the same place. But Jeremiah chapter 17 talks about what it's like when a man puts his trust in man. And then it talks about what it's like when a man puts his trust in God. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, it says curse. What does that word curse mean? What does curse mean? What does curse mean? He says empowered to fail. That means you got a supernatural anointing of failure on your life. If you trust in human strength and ability and mere mortals. So if everything you do, you're trying to say you can get it done because you're so smart, you can network so much, you got so many connections. If you try to put everything on yourself, you will utterly fail. Jesus. 
Because at some point, you're not going to have enough connections. At some point, your education is not going to be enough. At some point, you're not going to have enough experience. At some point, you're going to run out of everything human. Why? Because everything human has its limits. Everything human has its limits. So at some point, you're going to run out of your own strength and your own ability. He said his very heart strays from the eternal one. He is like a little shrub in the desert that never grows. He will see no good thing, watch this, come his way. He didn't say good things won't come your way. He says, but when you put all your trust in you, you won't recognize the things that come your way because you're only focused on your abilities. There are so many times that God is bringing things to his children. He's bringing things to his children. The problem is we're evaluating whether or not they're beneficial based on what we could do with it. Oh, you ought to. See, God will give you a word. And based on that word, you'll think it doesn't mean a whole bunch. And so God will tell you to share the word with someone, and you're like, ah, oh, ain't nobody going to think nothing about that. And so you'll keep that word to yourself. But had you taken what God gave you and shared it, you don't know what doors it would have opened for you. So the Bible says we can't put our trust in ourselves. It says that he will live in a desert wasteland, in a barren land of salt where no one lives. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. if you put your trust, you put your trust in, yourself, in yourself, you will, you will come, up lacking. come up lacking. You will. You'll come up lacking. But watch what he says. He says, but, now I love the word but, don't you? Because but's one of those words where it cancels out everything that came, bef- came before, but solidifies everything that comes after it. Come on. He says, so you cursed if you trust in yourself, but you are what? Blessed, Bless, which means what? Empowered to, prosper. Empowered to prosper is the one who trusts in him alone. Talking about God, the eternal one will be his confidence. He is like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots beside the stream. It does not fear the heat or even times of drought. Its leaves stay green and its fruit is dependable no matter what it faces. Now, now, now some of y'all, you still intellectualizing this and that's great. But when you go back and you meditate on this, here's what he's saying. He's saying that when God says you're blessed, he didn't care about the economy. Mm-hmm. When God calls you blessed, he don't care about the job you got. When God calls you blessed, he doesn't care about what sickness is going on. When God calls you blessed, blessed will be on your life if you put your trust in him. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, so people get concerned about all of these things. It, you know, I, I look at gas prices when we go by because the signs lit up in red. But I'm not concerned about gas prices. The same guy who provides gas prices, for, who, who provides gas for you when it's a dollar ten, is the same one who will do it if it's four ten. Right. Come on. I see some of y'all like four ten. Now you can't focus on nothing else. <laughs> it's because you haven't built up your faith in God's ability to sustain you no matter what. Yes. Listen, if God can take a bird and make a bird feed a man for a year, God can sure enough get you some gas. Come on. God can get you some gas. Hey, man. Oh, Pastor, what about food prices? Listen, God understands everything. The issue is if you try to do it in your own strength, you will come up short. I remember we was driving back and forth to Conway every Sunday when gas prices was at the top. They were almost $5, wasn't it? It was almost $5 a gallon, and we had five kids. So it was seven of us, so we wasn't driving no, act, no, no little uh, Civic. Right, no Capri, no, no Prius. We was driving an SUV, and it cost $100 to fill up each time, down and back. And not one time did we not go to church because we didn't have gas money. 
Not one time did we not take the kids to their events because we didn't have gas money. Why? Because when things increase, your God will increase you. I wish I had three folk who believe, just three, one from this side, one in the middle, and one. I wish I had three folk who believe that. The problem is, is that when you, when, when things get tight, if you start cutting back, you're doing that in your own strength. You never read in the Bible where God said, okay, it's 5,000 people, send 25 of them home. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you read the Bible, he, God never tells me, well, we ain't got enough for y'all, so y'all go. The Bible says he fed 5,000 and then feed the 5,000 because he's such a God of abundance. The little boy who sacrificed what he had had 12 baskets left when it was over. Your God is a God of abundance. The question is, do you have an abundance of trust? Because if you have an abundance of trust, God will do great things for you. Amen. Listen, I want to look at something in Psalms 35. I know it's not the next one. It's the one after that. Psalms 37, verse 5. The Bible says that when we trust God and we commit our ways to him, he will bring to pass the desires of our heart. There are some things in your heart I wish you would admit you wanted. Yes. There are some things in your heart that you won't allow yourself to admit that you want because in your own strength, you don't see how you can get it right now. And so what happens is you say, well, it ain't time. Or you say, well, I don't really need that. Or, well, I don't have to have that to be happy. Oh but if it's in your heart, it's because God put it there. God put something in your heart so that you will have the guts to ask him for it so that he can have the glory to give it to you. He says, if you commit your ways unto the Lord and trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Bring what to pass? The desires of your heart. The desires of your heart. That's the reason the devil is constantly talking to you and saying things to you like, well, you know, you live better than your parents lived. You ought to just be happy with what you got. Why do you need a new house? Why do you need the new car? Why do you got to go on vacation two or three times a year? You ought to just be happy with what you have because it's a desire of my heart and God put it there. God put that desire there. There are things that if you would write them down, they would be easier for you to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You ought to go home. And it was funny because my wife has this list of all these things she's going to do in 2016. And they're not necessarily big things. Some of them are, but some of them aren't. You know, one of the things she was talking about yesterday is she's trying to decide what kind of gun she's going to get. And so she didn't she, she didn't know. And the guy was like, well, before you buy a gun, you ought to shoot several different ones. So she kept saying, Strick, I want to go shoot your gun. Strick, I want to go shoot. Strick, I want to go shoot. And I didn't really want to go shoot, but she wanted to go shoot. And sometimes you do what your wife wants you to do. <laughs> That's just a tip for y'all. For sometimes sometime you just go. And so we went to shoot yesterday. But one thing she found out is she didn't want a gun like mine. She didn't want to shoot a gun like mine. So when we got in the car, she was like, we was only there like literally like 15 minutes. And I was like, we drove all the way across town for 15, but that's fine though. <laughs> and so for 15 minutes, <laughs> so for 15 minutes, we shot. And, and, and when she got through, she said, well, you know what? At least I can check it off my list. I know that I don't want that kind of gun. And I'm telling you, but before, we could have went months before she would have ever, because it could have just been, you could just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. But when you write stuff down, then it gives you this fortitude to want to go ahead and do it. And I'm telling you, there are some of you that God has given you some dreams. Some of you, and you don't even have to share with anybody, but there are things that you think about all the time, things that keep coming back to you, things you want to do, and you have pretty much decided you can't do them or you don't have to do them. Write those things down, start saying them, and start asking God to bring them to pass in your life. I'm telling you, because he'll do it. 
When we trust God instead of ourselves, supernatural things begin to happen. When we trust God instead of ourselves, supernatural things begin to happen. The Bible says that learning to trust God is, is, is hard work. And here's why it's hard. Because you and I have lived our entire lives trusting everything we can touch with our physical senses. So I'm not going to lie to you and say that you can come here, hear me preach one message, and then trust God and everything going to be good. Trusting God is hard. In fact, it is the idea. It, here's what the idea is. If I was to stand on this side of the room, if I ask you to stand on this side of the room, and I ask you to run full speed from right here, from right here, all the way to that wall, most of you could do it. But if I ask you to do it and close your eyes, even though you know these things here, you, you, you wouldn't do that, not full speed? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Why? Because you trust your sight, right? You, you, you know that if I can run full speed, I know exactly how to get. But when you can't see everything before you, when you, if you had to depend on us to say, go to the left, go to the right, you'd be running across here and boom, you fall down, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. That's how we are with God. Yeah. We're like, no, if you show it to me, God, I'll do it. But if I just got to trust you, I, I can't really do that right now. Yeah. So learning to trust God is hard work, but the Bible commands us to do it. Mm -hmm. The Bible says that it is the way that we receive God's promises. Psalms 40 and 4. It says, blessed is the one who does what? Trust in the Lord, who does not look to the proud to those who turn aside to false gods. He says, blessed is the one empowered to prosper is the one who trusts in the Lord. Being blessed means being empowered to have success in every area. When we trust God, there is no area of our life that God can't cause us to prosper in. I'm going to say that again. When we trust God, there is no area in our life that God can't cause us to prosper in. Some of you, you know, I, I, I talk to people all the time and, and sometimes they're like, well, I don't have a whole lot of friends. You know, God can empower you to have friends. Yes, what he'll do is he'll tell you to be friendly. <laughs> it's empowerment, right? He'll, he'll be like, when you see somebody, say hello. Don't wait for them to say hello to you. It's amazing that people go, well, nobody talked to me. Did you talk to anybody? No. <laughs> empowerment, Amen. One of the things that I think is important, I think we're going to end here. We talk about this word laboring, right? And it's, it's, just, it's this thing that Pastor Dollar used to say all the time, and I really loved it. And, and I loved it so much, I've studied it out and out and out and out. He talks about having sweatless victories. Now, a sweatless victory is, is, a, is a victory. It doesn't mean that you don't have to go through the process. It means that you don't have to. You don't, there's a difference between Okay, there's a difference between work and there's a difference between laboring and toiling. That's the better word. There's a difference between work and toiling, okay? When, when you finish your job on Friday and you get sick because you're thinking about going to work on Monday, you're toiling. Because you, you, it, toiling is when, when you're working, you give me everything you got, it ain't producing nothing. The Bible says we don't have to labor to enter into God's rest. Now hear me when I say this. We're going to finish with this. You don't have to labor to enter into God's rest. In other words, he says this. You don't have to work and do all of these things and keep all of these rules and regulations and all of this stuff in order to enter into what God has made available to you. There, I, I grew up in the church of God in Christ. 
we can teach you about toiling. <laughs> Amen. We can teach you about. No, I'm just. I love. I love. I still love the Koji Church, but we can teach you about 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 toiling, because what they said was. You can do 50 things right and you do think one thing wrong and now the promise is not available to you. So you spent your life either saying you didn't care and wilding out or you spent your life caring and, and every time you did something wrong, you was back at the altar crying. So there was never any time to live in victory. The Bible says that we don't have to labor to enter into his rest. I want you to see this scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Here's what he says. Here is all you have to do. If you, if, let, toiling is different. He said the laboring part is like a woman who has a baby, right? A woman who's having a baby, at some point the doctor tells her she has to push. Pushing is a natural part of the birthing process. If the woman doesn't push, then the baby tends to stay where he is. If you don't push yourself to trust God, you end up staying where you are. So the labor is that I have to push past all the doubt, all the unbelief, all the unworthiness, all of the stuff I've heard since the time I was five years old, all of the dreams I had that people told me I couldn't do, that I need to find something else to do. When I told them I wanted to be a doctor, they laughed. I got I to gotta go back. I got to push all of that stuff out of my life, and I got to push myself into just trusting God. And when I push myself, when I labor into his rest, the rest is that grace we started off talking about. When we talk about falling into the rest of God, the rest of God is literally what happened with the scholarship. We made a decision to do something. We didn't ask anybody else to give. We, it was an internal thing. FOC did that. But then people fell into the rest we fell into. And so, they, so when we decided to do that, then other people got on board. What I'm telling you is that when you begin to trust God, God will raise people up to help you do what you couldn't do by yourself. You don't even have to ask anybody. People were sending us messages. Where can I send a check? What do you, we didn't even have a system for what I could send. We had never thought about that. There'll be things in your life that when you just do what's in your heart, God will cause people to rise up and to come alongside of you and help you carry out that vision. You got a business you want to start, but you hadn't started it because you figured you got to have all of these things. Just start. Just start. If you want to sell cookies, bake 12 today. Just bake 12 cookies today. Do something. Do something. You, you, you want to be a fashion designer? Sew something. Sew something today. Do something. You, you want to go to cosmetology school? Do your hair. Do something. <laughs> Just anything, right? Just do something today. Because whatever you do, God will help you. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. Say, I declare, I declare that, I will that I will learn, learn to, trust God to trust God completely.